following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And- CWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you once again. And here tonight, I have a very, very special guest, somebody that I've been watching the career of for many, many years now. He started his career even before I was watching wrestling, but I've caught up on everything and I'm a massive fan of this guy. He is the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, death-defying maniac. He is the one and only Sabu. How you going, my friend? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here, bro. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, the first question I usually ask everyone on the show, bro, is, is usually how did you become a wrestling fan? But in your case, it's a little different because – your uncle is the original Sheik. So this is a bit of a different situation than most people that could have been in. What's childhood like having a famous uncle like the original Sheik? Uh, see, we didn't hang out with him that much. We just went out to his house on Sundays because he didn't wrestle on Sundays. And we go out there and visit him and his family, you know, my aunt and uncle. And uh, so we didn't, weren't allowed to talk about wrestling while we were there. But I always played wrestling when I was home. Then when I became 19... Uh, I got shot, and when I got out of the hospital, I started training to be a pro wrestler. Right, so something bad happened, and you realized, okay, something needs to change in my life right now. And I guess the the discipline of being uh, trained by your uncle certainly would have instilled a lot in you. Uh, This is pretty important in your life. May 1992, um, as, as you've been trained, you end up teaming with your uncle uh, in a ring of fire death match against Onita and Tarzan Goto. Uh, how was a young version of you feeling going into something as intense as this? Uh, it, it was just another day. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be so dangerous, either than anybody else. They thought it was just going to be a walk in the park, and, and it turned out not to be because it got too hot. <laughs> That's but what I, I read. When, yeah. when I went into the match, I wasn't that nervous about it. Same nervous I am about any other match. Absolutely, bro. And and mentioning this match, I wanted to bring it to 2021 and ask you what your thoughts were on the AEW exploding barbed wire death match and what happened there. Uh, I only seen a couple of highlights of it, and, and that was lame. For as much money they got, they could have made the best explosion match in the world. And they chose not to. I don't know why they would go with the fireworks, but uh, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was bad. I watched it live, and I was extremely disappointed. That, that, with match, that match is like the end of the world match. After that match, the world world ends. The world didn't end. It looked, it looked uh, you know, lacking. It was it was pretty dreadful. Um, but uh. <laughs> Early part of your ECW career, I want to get to now, and I, and I want to know, um, you know, how were your interactions with one Terry Funk? You guys did a lot together back then, even to the point where you had a uh, barbed wire match together, where Paul Heyman even said to himself, "I'm never doing one again because we can't follow that ever again." 
Uh, that was a crazy match. But uh, tell me, you know, Terry's such a nice guy. Tell me some stories about, you know, interactions with Terry. Well, I don't want to expose too much. Oh, yeah, his wife died. No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, Terry, you know, he's a great guy. He always, he was like an uncle to, like a cousin to me. You know, when he first started, Dory Funk Sr., Terry's dad, had him ride with my uncle. So my uncle could show him the ropes, you know. And uh, so he did when he was like 15, 16 years old, he rode with my uncle. So, so like he felt like he was like my uncle's son. And I feel like he's my uncle's son. So he feels like a, a cousin to me. Absolutely, bro. That kind of reminds me of uh, how some of some other guys later on in with hardcore wrestling feel about Tracy Smothers. It's kind of a similar thing. Like uh, they really look up to him, and he was a, a good teacher to people. Um, I wanted to bring it to WCW in 1995 because I find this whole section really interesting, especially with uh, some of the comments that Eric Bischoff has made on his show with Comrade Thompson. Uh, you make your debut on September 11th, 1995 on Monday Night Show against Alex Wright. Um, this is your first time in WCW. How did you feel being in that environment as opposed to what you've been a part of previously? Yeah, it, it was, uh, I was a fish out of water, you know, uh, like even Kevin said to me, I'm going to teach you TV wrestling. I go, what's that mean? He goes, it's different than what you do. Yeah. So, it, so it, it was tough because when I went there, the, it was a square peg in a round hole and uh, we tried to make it fit, but, they, but I had no help from Bishop to help me make it fit. He didn't want to, he gave me such a bad contract. I said, let's renegotiate. He said, no, I have a question. He wouldn't even renegotiate a contract. And the contract was for two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, well, that's, that's that's not good for anyone, is it? Uh, no, <laughs> I make more than that right now, and I work part time. But uh, right <laughs> <laughs> <I don't. laughs> um, Okay, I mean, honestly, when you look at it back in nineteen ninety five, and you see those matches that you had with, you know, Mister JL, Jerry Lynn, um, at Halloween Havoc ninety five, Alex Wright, it just seems completely out of place with what WCW was like at the time. I mean, you had the Dungeon of Doom and all that stuff going on. So it was very out of place, very different. But um, that Havoc 95 match was certainly great. And it must have been good to have your uncle there with you on pay-per-view. Oh, it was great. Plus in Detroit, because I think it was Joe Louis Arena. Uh, so it was great to have him at my side. Absolutely. It's, and a, dream come true. it's a dream come true. Awesome, man, definitely. And, and and what I wanted to mention about Eric's comments on his podcast was that he was he was very complimentary, but said that he felt like he didn't want to be a big star in WCW or that you were serious about sticking around in WCW, yet you're talking about the fact that you wanted to renegotiate the contract. Is he is he talking out of the wrong side of his mouth there? Uh, I don't know. Just this uh when I got there, it was really cold. Before I got there, you know, these uh, wine and dining made me feel like I was going to be great. Or it made me feel that it was going to be great. And when I got there, everybody was cold, you know, and uh, uh, at the time, they wanted me to be a, a cruiserweight or a junior heavyweight. And I didn't want to do it. At the time, cruiserweight meant to kiss of death. You, know, you never make it to the main event. It's always second or third match. And I didn't want to be second or third match. I wanted to be main event. And they said, well, all the main events are taken for the next two years. That's with Sting and Hogan. I go, fuck, ain't there no chance I could do that? Jump in there somewhere? And they said, no. 
Unbelievable, bro. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, Sabu, I mean, I don't know what their whole thought process was behind cruiserweight because most of the time the cruiserweights weren't really small guys. You know, you would have a, a Chris Benoit or a Chris Jericho in there and, you know, they certainly were much bigger than a Rey Mysterio and a, right. a psychosis and all that. So, like, for you, you're a bigger guy than those guys, so it just doesn't make sense that you would be in that cruiserweight division. But I wasn't big enough to be a heavyweight. I wasn't big enough to go one-on-one with Hogan or, or Sting, and that's what I wanted. Those are the money matches. And uh, they said that would never happen because uh, Hogan's and Sting matches are, are already picked out for the next two years. Right, that's crazy. Uh, so what led you to leaving WCW? Was that contract negotiation process and you made the decision, okay, this isn't a good fit, I'm gone? Yeah, yeah, the, the contract was terrible. So uh, one weekend, ECW was wrestling in Philadelphia. Paul called me, Paul and Todd Gordon taught me to come in. So I did. And then what, when the lights goes out, lights come on, I'm in the ring, I'm back. And I go, I don't know. I said, when the lights go out, lights come on, you won't know if I'm going to be in the ring. But, but I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted them to not know for sure. And, and they paid me a big payoff, too. Well, that's pretty good, bro. Um, so you do return. I, I, even though Nancy Sullivan says, comes to me, a uh, woman, and, some, and says, uh, who's going to tell Kevin me or you? I, go, I guess you are, because I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> like Kevin understood. You know, Kevin, was a, he, he, at the time, he didn't have the power of contracts. He's, he's just a booker. So he couldn't change my contract. It was too late. And, which I never thought it'd never be too late, but it was. And then, but when I came back later for a meeting with uh, Kevin and JJ Dillon, they offered me a ton of money. Yeah. Right. Well, that's good. Uh, you, you do return to ECW on November 18th, 1995, at November to Remember. Uh, and you, you start engaging with RVD. What was it about Rob and you that really clicked as, as friends, as human beings? Uh, you know, for one, my uncle trained us both. So that, that makes it easier to wrestle him because if he was trained the same way I was, which would be the best way, uh, you can have a good match with him. Um, but, you know, Rob, I don't know. We, we went to the first, ter- he went to his first territory with me in Memphis. You know, I drove him everywhere and drove with him everywhere and uh, took care of him a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, you know, you guys were tied to the hip for, for a long time there. Yeah, we're still friends to this day. I talked to him a couple of days ago. And how did you feel about him going in the Hall of Fame? I know, you, I know you've said some things about the WWE Hall of Fame, but he has said some things too about the fact that you should be in as well. How did you feel about him being in the Hall of Fame? And, and if there were an opportunity that you would go into, would you take that opportunity? Okay, um... Him going into the Hall of Fame, I was that's good and proud of him. But I, I just told him, keep level head. It's not a real Hall of Fame. Don't, don't think that you're one of the you're the best in the in the in the wrestling industry, you know. And and so uh, I think the WWE Hall of Fame is, is bullshit because they do it just to get ratings or get uh, to have content for the next year, you know. Exactly. There's no there's no physical Hall of Fame. There's no way you can go to. Well, I, I think there is now, but it's all WWE Hall of Fame. It's not like the, the wrestling world of Hall of Fame where they have guys in there from 1901 or whatever. It, there's one in New York that does that. There's one in Iowa that does that. Where they have the, the old, old school wrestlers. Ed Stringer Lewis is in both of those. Ed Stringer Lewis is not in WWE Hall of Fame. He should be the first one in, into, into a Hall of Fame. Ed Stringer Lewis. 
I totally get what you're saying, bro. And, uh, you know, it, it is a bit of a weird thing, but I, I want to bring it back to ECW. I want to talk about Barely Legal because this is a massive long-term storyline that ends, well, not ends, but the first final, you know, first and final, you know, culmination of this thing with you and Taz, you finally guys, you, you both meet at this pay-per-view finally. I'll get my words correct soon, but this is a huge thing for you guys. This is huge. And I know that um, over the years I've heard that you two never got along, but it seemed like that didn't matter. It seemed like every time you two worked together, it turned to gold. Uh, I, 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 I don't know about that, but thank you. Uh, for one, we were we always competitive. If I hit him with a move, he had to hit me with something almost equal. You know, what? it, it, it was like kind of a competition, but it wasn't, you know. So whenever we wrestled each other, it was competitive. So if I hit him with something, he'd hit me with something, and I'd have to hit him back with something, you know. So it'd take two somethings to put him down instead of one. Right. But uh, Tazzo was a really uh, super good worker. Uh, he wasn't that stiff. It just looked that way. Was he, and was, uh, when he suplexed you on your head, you really landed on your head, though. <laughs> uh, obviously, yeah. I mean, I've seen it, but, uh, you know, what was the conflict between the two? Was it a personality conflict or? Uh, well, he wanted me to make me to bring him along with me. At the time, I was just getting my push and uh, that not from ECWs in Japan and everywhere else. So he wanted to come with me or be a part of it. And I got I got a little jealous and didn't want a part of it. Right. Uh, so as the years have gone by, though, now he's softened. He's not as serious about life anymore i know that raven said a few things about taz over the years that he was so serious that he would tell taz to stop he would tell raven sorry to stop making him laugh because he didn't like to laugh <laughs> that is ridiculous <laughs> to be like that uh yeah. have you guys got along a little bit better as the years gone by oh yeah i get along with him great now you know we just talk every now and then every few weeks but uh yeah, we get along good now. He he even says it wasn't for me. He would never be, be what he was today because I, uh, I I I helped him, but I didn't help him willingly. I helped him unwillingly. <laughs> he helped himself. <laughs> no, he did do very good, and I I do feel a little bit bad for him because of how his WWE career career went. It, it was good at the forefront, you know, right at the beginning, but then within a few months, they just decided they weren't going to do anything with him. But uh, one thing I mem remember him talking about was you falling off the, the big R on Raw when ECW invaded back in the day. Uh, what happened when you fell off the R? Uh, well, they wanted me to jump out of the balcony. And I didn't want to jump out of the balcony. That was too typical. So I figured uh, I seen those R uh, R A W, you know, by the ring, kind of by the ring, about 100 feet from the ring. And so I said, I'll just jump off the R. They go, you want to, you want to rehearse it? I go, no, I don't. I said, I'll just do it. So when I, when I, before I started to go up, uh, the Dudleys were holding the ladder for me so it wouldn't fall over. And when I get to the top, I stuck my foot on the, the R and it's wobbly as shit. So when I jumped, it went out from under me and I was getting straight down, knocked the wind out of me. I was supposed to land on like five or six guys. I hit one guy with the forearm and knocked everybody else over. <laughs> but That's I wanted amazing. to do it because even, even if it was a fuck up like it was, uh, it still looked good. It's so different. Yeah, of course. You know, I think that was the first time anybody had attempted to jump off the R, and I think uh, no one else attempted yeah, that. Yeah, it was probably the first and last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I, I wanted to ask you about this because, look, I know you've probably told this story before, but some of your Australian fans might be watching this and they might not have heard the story before. But I wanted to ask you about the match that you had with Chris Benoit where he went, you know, to give you a, I don't know what it was he was trying to do, a backdrop or a flapjack or something, and you didn't flapjack. make the rotation. Was it a flapjack? But did you yeah, did you think that you were going to be doing a back? a backdrop or what happened in the middle oh, of that movie I, I, just, in your head? I, I knew he wanted to throw me on my chest but when he threw me he kept when i got to as high as i could go my legs kept climbing and went right over the top of my head and i came straight down he didn't let me level out right you know, he didn't let me level out he started throwing my legs over before i leveled out and uh i just kept going and landed on my head and at the time time was i had a broken finger in my left hand so i didn't put my hands on the mat i, I put my elbow in a hand and that's what got me. If I would have did this, I probably would have saved me. But I didn't do that, I did this. But he didn't tell you what to take. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I I read a rumor. Look, this, this shit happens all the time, especially with Dave Meltzer being out and about. But uh, I had read a rumor that, um, you know, in... 2000 for ECW, you know, you had such a great run there with Rob and you were, you had finished a feud with him. I heard a rumor that you ended up leaving ECW because you were asked to wrestle in a triple threat match with Super Crazy and CW Anderson. And you were asked to put over Super Crazy and you said, no, I'm not going to be doing that. And you left. Is that true? Please clear that up. Yes, that's true. But how it happened was, Paulie goes, and, and then you put over some crazy one, two, three, and then he goes, you can shake hands, you can hug him, you can point up or just leave. I said, all right, I'll just leave. So I went over and grabbed my bag and left. Of course, that's not what he meant, but I, I, played, I played dumb like it was, and as he told me to just leave, he goes, you know better now. But yeah, I did, but so what? You know, He, he, uh, he wanted to uh, do me wrong before I left. Right, so essentially what was going on was he was trying to just get you to put over a bunch of guys before you were going to leave the company. And exactly. And I understand his, his opinion, but the thing was, I wasn't going to be gone long. I'd be gone a short time. And I would have been back with more money and a smile on my face. But, but instead I stayed, you know, he made me stay there and then uh, we, we didn't get paid that much. Of course. And it was a little bit random for you to be putting over super crazy. I'm sure you wouldn't mind putting over super crazy if the, the bill was correct. Um, but to just do it on a random episode of Hardcore TV or ECW on TNN was, you know, that's a little bit out of place for somebody on the on the level of Sabu, former ECW world champion, right? That's pretty much how I felt about it. The thing was, you know, if you're mad at me, you don't take it out of the, on the product who's in the ring. You take it out of me in the dressing room. You take it out of, out of my pay later. But, you know, he didn't punish me for not paying me. He just didn't pay me. And uh, so uh, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> anyways um so okay after you leave ecw in 2000 um apparently from what i've read paul blocked wcw from signing you in february of 2000 when you were going to debut at the nassau coliseum for them what happened there uh, uh before i quit or he fired me at ECW. I had a secret meeting with Kevin Sullivan and JJ Dillon, and uh, they offered me a, a nice contract. So I said, I, I have to take this to my room and read, uh, read it. But really, what I want to do was tell my mother first. 
And Kevin goes, just sign it. I said, I'll, I'll sign it when I get over to the hotel. I get over to the hotel. I call my mom to tell her, you know, this is a good thing. But she had a heart attack before I could tell her because my dogs and someone was knocking the door at the same time and she panicked and uh, she had a heart attack. So instead of doing signing the contract, I just went straight home and got to the hospital and she was in intensive care. So I, I called Kevin and say, uh, I can fax over that contract now. I'm ready. I signed it. He'll no, too late. I already being sued. It was six hours later and uh, someone already told Paul what was going on and they were already being sued, uh, threatened to sue. Well, where, why is it his place to sue at that stage? Is it, were you still apparently under contract with ECW or what was going uh, on? I, I guess so, but I didn't think I was with all the breaches. You know, you breach it so many times, there is no contract. And one of the breaches was I didn't get paid the last few months. Of course, like everyone else, apparently, at the time. Uh... Right, but he was saying, just suck it up. I sucked it up all the, all the time until then. When I had someone offer me a real contract for, for a lot of money, I, I had to take it. Then I would just have been, probably gone a year and I would have been back in ECW. Right, so, I mean, you must have been incredibly pissed off with Paul at this stage for uh, blocking you. No, actually, I wasn't. I was later on. I am now. But when it happened, I didn't care. I go, all right, fuck it. Sue me. Uh, as long as my mom's okay, it don't matter what the fuck you do. But then that, that ended up giving my mom 12 more years of life. And uh, so it's worth it. Absolutely, bro. Um, I know you spent a bit of time in Rob Black's XPW at the time. Um, what was it like working for that company? Sometimes when I watch some of their old footage, I get a little bit annoyed about the production value of it. But, you know, was that something that, you know, you appreciated that time there? Uh, I didn't think that much about it because to me it was just another indie show, and uh, they're all indies. You know, even ECW is an indie. Was that it? Was an indie at the time? It was a glorified indie. But because uh, I worked for everybody else and ECW, and so with XPW, I worked for everybody else and XPW. So it was nothing exclusive or that memorable. You know, to me, uh, I did it for the money. Fair enough. Um, I mean, years go I don't by. Have pay, I, don't have to, I don't have to get paid top dollar for me try hard. I always tried hard no matter what, no matter what I got paid or my condition. So it was had nothing to do with uh, XPW or nothing. So it was another, it was another indie. No, fair enough, bro. And and trust me, from watching your career, I've noticed that it doesn't matter where you are, no matter what's going on, you always put in 110%. Uh, what did you Thank think? You. No worries, bro. Uh, what did you think the day that you found out that ECW was now no longer in operation? Uh, it, it wasn't nothing that surprising. I knew they were going down anyways. You know, of course, I just wanted to get a contract before they went down. We had no way, no way of negotiating. I think a lot of people were because, you know, you could notice in that in 2000, a lot of people all of a sudden, Lance Storm is in ECW and Just Incredibles in the WWF and you know, a lot of people are, are getting a contract here and there. Shane, that you weren't able to at that time. Were there any discussions when the invasion angle, the horrible invasion angle uh, began to have you come in as well? I know Tommy and Rob joined the uh, ECW contingent, but was there an opportunity for you to come in at that point? Uh, yes and no. They wanted Rob, and then Rob was going to push for me, but we never got that far. But, but, uh, but yeah, I wanted to be part of the invasion, but not to be a, one of the 20 guys, one of the, like one of the guys, like one of the two guys. Absolutely. And obviously, 
the invasion angle was a complete botch. They screwed that up more than anything that they've ever done in that company. And it's probably better off that guys like you, Raven, Shane Douglas, weren't a part of that because it just hurt the whole ECW brand as far as I Oh, yeah. Concerned. When they had them all come out and all that, yeah, that was terrible. It looked, it looked funny. You know, we, they looked weak. We looked weak. And it, it looked... It just it looked like yeah they they were missing a few people that's for sure. Sorry, bro, I have no idea what happened there. But anyway, where I was, I had said, uh, you know, it was probably better that you, Raven, Shane Douglas, etc., weren't a part of the angle because the angle itself was an absolute debacle. They made ECW into this watered down thing. And as you were talking about that segment with everyone in the ring there, it was like, yeah, you're missing a few people there. Where's the Sandman? Where's Sabu? Where's Raven? Where's Shane Douglas? You needed those names. Yeah, but we protested it. That's why we didn't do it. It's all stupid. All four of us did. It was. And um, as time went by, obviously the invasion angle did not work out. They gave up on that very quickly. And that's their fault because for whatever reason, uh, time goes on, time goes by, but ECW is chanted all the time. Anytime anything hardcore takes place on WWE TV, they do a documentary where it's, you know, it's the, the rise and fall of ECW. Then all of a sudden we're getting ourselves an ECW pay-per-view one Night Stand 2005. But before One Night Stand 2005, there is also another show called Hardcore Homecoming. Um, you defeat Terry Funk and Shane Douglas in a three-way no-ropes barbed wire match. Um, after all this time, you know, what we're doing here is we're going back to the night the line was crossed, having the, the big rematch with the three of you. First of all, talk... Can you please talk to me about that first one? Because I don't think a triple threat match had ever really happened or a three-way dance had ever happened at that point. And then please bring it to Hardcore homing, Homecoming and and why it was it was made a barbed wire match. Uh, why it was made a barbed wire match? I don't know why. Other than, uh, that's the way Shane, Shane, was, Shane was the booker and that's the way he, he booked it. So I didn't, I didn't ask him why. I said, okay. You know, I, I don't know. There's a, there is no why. You just do it. And the first hardcore, the first uh, one night stand, uh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, against Rhino. Yeah, that was pretty good. I liked it. And they, they let me do pretty much I wanted in the match, almost everything. Not that they gave me much time to do it, but but they didn't protest anything. And when I wrestled uh, Mysterio in the second one, that was even better. They, they gave me a little more lay room. And, uh, but then they took it away after we did the ECW contract. Right. Um, I found it interesting, like when ECW was coming back, what were you, what were your hopes and dreams for that? Because uh, I know Tommy was quite, quite excited about it. And I've had uh, Louis Dangerously on the show before, and he was working in the office at the time. Uh, so there was this whole thing that was actually going to be authentic. How long did it take you to realize it was not going to be authentic, ECW? Uh, after about two months. You know, I wrestled Big Show and I wrestled Tass, and those went okay. And then uh, after that, I forgot who I was wrestling, like anybody. And uh, they said, you can't do that anymore. Can't do this. Can't do that. And I go, like, I invented that. They said, not here you didn't. 
Right. Actually, they weren't even letting me break a table. They weren't even, they were eventually letting me break a table. We'd, we'd have uh, house shows where people are expecting tables every match, which is wrong, but maybe one table a night. And they were chatting table, table, and sad Lou and Van Dam. So they kind of thought we were lazy because they think we didn't want to break the table. They don't really have, we break the table, they say not to do it. You, you get either fined or fired. Right, that's weird, right? You know, that's it's not like you could suck it up and say, "All right, they want they want me to lose to this guy. I'm gonna beat him tonight." You do that, they won't air it, and you'd be fired. <laughs> right, because uh, I remember when I interviewed Lou and he was working in the office. He said once Vince saw the first show at the ECW arena, he was like, "That's it, no." I don't like this. I don't like how it looks. We're not doing that. And now ECW is airing before SmackDown. And some of those matches that you had on SmackDown, it was like, I don't know. It it was quite clear that they were uh, holding you back from doing what you would do in a real ECW environment. Yes, they were. They, they completely handcuffed me. And the thing was, I could have did my thing, but then they would have, they would have fired me sooner, you know? Right, or I'd have to sooner. but if you like uh, one time, uh, I jumped off a chair and gave the guy the kick, it's called Air Sabu. And uh, so I did that because you can't do that no more. I go, Why not? They go, That's Jeff Hardy's spot. I said, But I invented it. They go, Not here, you didn't. You know, so so I, I wouldn't allow him to jump off the chair anymore. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Like, that's where Jeff got it from. I'm sure Jeff would have been fine with it too, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Um, so I want to know what it was like working with John Cena because you know he's 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 a WWE made prodigy at the time and he had become a, you know quite a big household name you know one of the last household names that wrestling will ever have probably but John seems like the kind of guy that would be pretty cool and you know what was it like working with him? You're exactly right. He was pretty cool. And before I wrestled him, everybody goes, "Man, you got to be careful, man. He's a crowbar and he's a sledgehammer." which means it's hard to work with him. Someone calls you a crowbar. I said, all right, I expected him to be a crowbar. But when I went out there, he wasn't. He was just the opposite. And he was even calling some of my spots. Like, you say, do this and do that. And it was my spot. You know, usually guys, if you don't come with your own shit, they're not gonna, you're not going to get it in. <laughs> all right. Um, he was very courteous. He was very courteous when it came to that. And uh, very approachable and a cool guy. I think people say he, that he's good or not good or bad because they're jealous. Absolutely. And you know what? Well, I hated him for years, but it wasn't his fault. It was just because he was portrayed in a way that I didn't like. And now after all these years have gone by, I realized actually how good he was. Uh, right. Yeah, he, he was pretty good. He was. And uh, you did allude to it earlier. You did talk about the second one night stand with Rey Mysterio. Uh, it did end in a weird way where doctors had to come out after you did the springboard DDT on him through the table. That was an insane spot. Honestly, it looked pretty, pretty snug, but I loved it. What, why, why, why were the doctors involved? Was it just a WWE thing that they were getting involved too much? Well, because uh, Vince wanted a, a double or a no contest where we both buck each other up and we don't get up. So I came with that spot. I've done it before though. I did DDT through the table. Excuse me, it was a little different than I thought it was going to be, but it worked. And it looked like it knocked them both out, and they came out and they stopped us. So for after they stopped us, I was acting like I was trying to get to my feet. Vince wanted me to get carried out on the stretcher. Right. It's only hit the back of my head. I didn't break my neck. 
Well, it it was a, a fantastic spot, and it really uh, it, it was something special. But um, I want to fast forward to wrestling Big Show at SummerSlam. I'm guessing this is a nice little payday. But um, how did you feel about working with Big Show and uh, having him involved in the ECW brand? Uh, I liked working him because you know he'd come to opponent. I would like to wrestle him because he's big and doesn't do anything I do. So that's a good good contrast with my me my style against his style. But uh, and he was pretty good for being a giant dude. And uh, 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 I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> working with Big Show at SummerSlam. Okay, yeah, that was a great payoff. And but sometimes he got an attitude where he didn't want to sell. If he doesn't sell, he's not gonna. I can't knock it. I can't hurt him to do it. You know, if I hurt him to do it, he's gonna hurt me back. <laughs> but anyways, sometimes he just went and sell it or puts things over. Or or when I talked to him in the ring, he wouldn't answer me because he was either blown up and just didn't want to do it. And so when he doesn't want to do something, you don't do it because he can't make him do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't make that guy do anything if he doesn't want to. Uh, <laughs> So this is a this is a funny situation now looking back, but I'm sure at the time it was a bit oh gosh, it's when you and RVD and you're in the car together. He's a WWE champion. He's also ECW champion, and you get you get pulled over and you happen to have a bit of weed with you. I mean, good gosh. I mean, nowadays it probably wouldn't be a big deal, but back then apparently it was a massive deal. Can you take me through that moment when you and RVD were pulled over with a bit of weed on you? Yeah, we we just left the arena a, a few hours or a few no a few minutes before anybody else did. So we got out on our on our uh, you know by ourselves out onto the road, which was a mistake because the, then the cops were just waiting to pull somebody over. But anyway, we go by them and the cop pulls us over. Actually, Rob goes, "The police have yellow lights." I go, no, they don't. They got red and blue. And all of a sudden, they turned red and blue. I said, those are cop. That's a cop there. So he pulled us. And the weed we had was so toxic, smell, toxic smelling, that you couldn't hide that for nothing. And so, so th- th- he knew right away. And, but he didn't know who we were. Not that it mattered. He kept saying he didn't know who we were. But he, he, played, he played with the bell a little bit. And then take, took a, but didn't take a picture, but acted like he was taking pictures. And, uh, you know, he was really putting us over like he didn't know who we were. But then he was putting us over like he didn't know who we were. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we left, get, we get pulled over. So we're the first ones out of the arena. Then about half an hour later, other, everybody else started coming out one at a time, driving right by us with the lights on. So as soon as they went by us, the first 20 minutes, Vincent knew about it right then. We got squealed on right there. You know, there was no secret. Because Johnny Ace goes, what are we going to tell Vince? I said, we're not going to tell him anything. <laughs> and he started laughing. He goes, you got to tell him something. And it's not for me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him nothing. <laughs> and I didn't. He never asked me what went on. He just said, don't ever happen again. And then uh, they put Rob in 30-day suspension and took the bell away. Yeah, it really, it really was a bummer for all of us as fans uh, to see yeah. that he was now, you know, taken. Take, the title was taken away from him. Something that he had earned. And uh, damn. Anyway, I wanted to ask you about December to dismember the pay per view. It was obviously one of the worst pay-per-views of all time. It has Vince's fingerprints all over it, interfering with what Paul and Tommy were trying to do. But you were taken out of the main event before the main event happened. What was the thought process behind that? Was this punishment because of this thing that had happened? Or Yeah. Uh, 78 Man wrote this long-ass promo for me to do, like a story that I'm supposed to memorize it. And it's not my words. It's words they put into it, trying to get me to say. I said, no, that's no good. She goes, just do it. So I tried a couple of times. I go, I can't. And she goes, I go, I got a better idea. Watch this. 
I, I look at this thing, I look at the, the, the script and I tear it up and throw it away. So I'm not doing that, which would have been cool because that's my attitude. But then they said, you can't, if you don't do that, you're out of the match. Oh but they didn't gosh. tell me that. They didn't tell me that at first. The next day they had me do an angle where I hurt my arm and then uh, never said nothing about the match. Didn't bring me in, just didn't call me. Right. Did you have the chance to work out them to a, a promo something man wanted me to do, and I couldn't do it. Even if it was the last day on earth, I couldn't do it. Not because I didn't want to, I just can't. I'm not much of a talker. I'm kind of shy. And so it's hard for me to talk or express myself, express myself, express myself with words. No, fair enough, bro. And like you were never a guy that was given promos. You never spoke in ECW. Was that was your thing? So to have WWE try and make you do that is just counterproductive to what you do. What you do is well, you- well, well. Vince pulled me aside one day and he said that they want he wants me to be a likable babyface. I said, yeah, but the way I'm a babyface, on the way to the ring, sometimes I look like somebody touched me and they didn't, and I kind of chase them down a little bit. The only ones who don't like that is the one guy I'm running after. Everybody else likes him. But Vincent, he goes, you can't do that. You can't stand a fan. I go, I'm not going to. I'm just going to threaten to. You know, I don't want to stand a fan. But I just threaten to make me look mean or tough. And and to me, that's the anti-hero, like Savage, you know, the heel babyface or babyface heel. You know, it's a tweener. or something. No matter what I did in the match, ECW or, the, or WWF, uh, people liked what I did. Even if I stabbed the guy in the eye with a spike, they still cheered me. I never got one boo, never. <laughs> oh, did you, never. you have the chance to work with Kurt Angle while you were in uh, WWE, CW? And please tell me, what was that like? Because he is a machine. Yeah, it was pretty cool, except for... Uh, he, he was kind of a pain in the ass because he wanted to go over every single fucking detail. You know, like sometimes I go, I'll make a comeback. I don't have to tell you what my comeback is. Just sell for me. But he wants to know what it is. And, and you got to tell him over and over and over. Every time you come to a spot, you have to keep telling him every detail. It, it, it gets tiring because we're professionals. I don't need every detail. <laughs> Fair enough. But he was cool, though. He was a real good worker. Like you said, he was a machine. He, he just kept going and going. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he was cool. He, he was all right to work with. It's kind of a pain in the ass to go over the match. I really didn't like going over to match with him. Of course, you know, you, you probably like to feel it as you, as you get out there. You like to listen to the crowd and just go by what feels natural, which is... Uh, well, when I was com- I, I'm sorry, but when I, when I was coming up, the way you judged a good wrestler was how good he reacted on his feet. Now good to remember the spots. You can you can forget every spot, but if you can work, you can work without knowing the spots. And, and a lot of times I work without knowing the spots. I don't even know what's coming next. I, I say, uh, you know, uh, ad lib. I, I I think on my feet and do something good. Usually it's good. You know, most of the time it's good. And, and I'm the same, bro. Like it, it's been a few years, but I used to wrestle as well. And I and I want to ad lib the whole match. I don't like to have the whole thing planned out. It's boring to me to oh it's terrible it's so boring to just plan the whole thing out beforehand and just just go by a script that you came up with before no i like to just go out there and just do whatever it is that feels natural that's what i used to do i'm not I was, it's, not like, it's not like i was some big st- I, I wrestled in perth western australia i was a weekend warrior i didn't do anything big in the business but that's the way that I like to do it. And I see a lot of people over the years, they just like to plan every single second into me. Where's, where's the fun creative license behind that? Let's go out there and let's just feel it. That's me. 
I, I agree, man. I've always been that way. Even till this day, I'm that way. I, I hate going over match, but I just know guys now today, they got to go every spot, which I'll go over every spot with them once or twice, but not every time we go over the match, you know, especially if the match later in the show, you, you'll see the guy 20 times and he'll tell me every spot, every time, every 20 times. And uh, it gets to be a pain in the ass. It makes me not <laughs> want to go over the match. And the, when I have someone like that, like Kurt Angle, I go, Kurt, this is the second time I went over the match. I go, Kurt, I said, I have to go get stoned. I said, I can't listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome bro um i wanted to fast forward to tna there's not many questions left uh sabu but uh I, I, this is one thing that i loved because uh, i was watching tna at the time and it was a feud that probably should have happened in ecw but time just wasn't there you work with raven finally and you have this great feud i really enjoyed it what was it like working with raven finally and you know how do you feel that that could have gone if it was in ECW back in the day? Uh, it would have been great in ECW. And it was okay in TNA, except for after our first or second match, I got an infection and I was in the hospital for three months. So that, that we never finished it. We we're going to do it when I came back. But uh, while I was in the hospital, Dusty Rhodes uh, released me because he said that he couldn't handle dead weight. I said, I'm not dead weight. I'll be back in the ring next week because I didn't know how sick I was. But he must have known because he said, uh, no, we've got to use a contract for somebody who can use. I'm a motherfucker. God damn, bro. That sucks. But I, I did like some of the matches. That well, I respected it. At least he told me. At least he told me. Of course. Of course. And um, as far as TNA was concerned, you know, back in the day, um, as, you know, you worked with Samoa Joe, uh, I know that you had a, a few issues going into that match with Joe. What was going on then? And did you enjoy working with him? Yeah, Samoa Joe was really good. Except for during that, mat, uh, that match, I broke my forearm a few days before that in Mexico. So I was hurting a lot. And, but he, he took care of me. He's a great, great worker. And it would have been better uh, if without a cage. The cage was so stiff, you couldn't work it. The cage was super stiff. It was like iron bars. And, and it, it, it looked like chains or something. But, but it was super stiff, so you really couldn't work it other than climb it. I don't like climbing it. Right, fair enough. And you know what, what's interesting about this is like you're there back in in these days of TNA, but uh, now it's Impact Wrestling, and you did have the chance to be there a little while ago. You get, got to work with Rob again and and be a part of it again. How fun was it to go back there again and 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 work with Rob again? Oh, that, it was great. It was really fun and. Uh, because he was supposed to wrestle Jerry Lynn, I was supposed to wrestle Scorpio. But Jerry Lynn had a back out for whatever reason. I think he hurt his back or something. So they had to someone take a spot, which they were treating me like shit at the time. So they go, all right, but uh, you, you just move up to main event, you're going to get double pay. And they didn't give me double pay. Even Dreamer came to me and said, they're going to pay you double. Even Dreamer said it, and they didn't. Oh. And then when I said to Dreamer a couple months later, I said, hey, they never paid me double. And he goes, check again. <laughs> oh, the wrestling business, hey, bro. Um, how, yeah. are you, how are you feeling today? I know you just wrestled in Texas the other day, um, but you hadn't wrestled for a little while before that. How are you feeling physically, and, and, and how much longer do you think that you can go in the wrestling business? Uh, I can't go much farther. I'm just about done. Uh, as of this moment, I'm kind of done because I hurt my back uh, last year, and I never got better. You know, and my shoulder has been hurt for the last 10 years and that never got better. So actually my shoulder's gotten worse and so has my back since I ain't been wrestling since the pandemic. It's actually gotten worse. So I don't know how much longer. If I can get the pain in my back, the pain in my ass to go, then I'll probably stay in a lot longer. 
Right, and if you could pick a, a final opponent or a final scenario for your final match, what would you do? Uh, if, if I could pick anybody, I'd pick Brock, Brock Lesnar. So for, if, if you don't want to wrestle me, which I'm pretty sure he doesn't, then I'd probably pick Van Damme for my final match. And what I wanted to do was like put on a couple shows, me and Rob in Japan, one you know in England, one in the States, and that would be our final, final match. After that, we both retired, but we never got around to it yet. Cool, bro. Well, you know, I hope that's what happens. And and Sabu, you know, we're coming close to the end of the interview here. And this is a segment I call Five Second Frenzy. There's, it's, it's a few quick fire questions with quick fire answers, but most of them are about other things than wrestling, but some are about wrestling. So if you're ready, the first question, Sabu, is who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Uh, well, it'd be cheating if I said the Sheik. So, okay, so if I can't pick the Sheik or Rob Van Dam, I guess my favorite wrestler probably be with Tiger Mask, the original Tiger Mask, Ayama. Uh, I, I was a big fan of his. Like, my uncle, when I started wrestling, my uncle said, pick three wrestlers that what I think are great and then imitate those guys. I said, okay, so I picked Jimmy Snuka, Tiger Mask, and the Sheik. Those three together makes, makes my character Sabu, or it does to me in my mind. I, I look, I'm playing Sheik, I'm playing Tiger Mask. If, if you know when I think like that, and no one knows what I'm doing, they just think I'm being crazy. But uh, it might be look look crazy, but it isn't. I'm I'm actually following a guideline in my head. Fair enough. Who was your favorite opponent over the years? Uh, I'd be cheating if I said Rob Van Dam. So <laughs> I guess it'd probably be too cold Scorpio. He was one of the best. Uh, yeah, I guess Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's, it's really hard to compare anybody to him. Uh, I take that back. I take it back. Maybe maybe Ray Mysterio. He, he, he's what he's the best excellent bro uh what would you say would be the favorite match you've ever had i know this is a tough that's a tough one uh favorite match i uh, you know uh, i'd like to i guess i would say the barbara match but when i was going through that it's your favorite but I, I do now because it keeps getting brought up like more that, that match brought up is brought up more than any other match i've ever done so i, I guess that one the barbara match was terry funk Cool, bro. Okay, we're getting away from wrestling now. I want to know, what is your favorite book? Uh, Sabu's Autobiography. Scars, Super Blue, and something else. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone out there, please check it out. It's something definitely worth checking out. Sabu, what is your favorite TV show? Uh, 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I take it back. Uh, a real housewives in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we always get the real housewives on this show? I don't understand it, but yeah, that was the first, that was the first reality show I watched besides the Real World. I watched that one uh, years ago because I don't know, one of my one of my TVs was stuck on that channel, so I, I so I watched it every day at eleven o'clock, and I got to know everything about it. <laughs> awesome you know, man! They don't, just show, they don't show just one episode; they show like ten in a row, so you get to, you can you can learn. Uh, what's going on in the first day, Monday? Absolutely, man. I get it. Uh, favorite film? Um, Pulp Fiction, maybe. Very cool. Uh, favorite musical artist? Judas Priest. Oh, Ozzy Osbourne. Judas Priest, my favorite band. My favorite singer is Ozzy Osbourne. Excellent, bro. I've seen both of them. I've seen Black Sabbath. I've seen a whole heap of heavy metal bands. So I think you and I have the same taste in music. Uh, favorite Sounds food, like bro? Um, I guess we Mexican. Mexican, very good. Like everyone loves Mexican. Mexican. If you don't, then there must be something wrong with you. Uh, favorite <laughs> place to eat on the road, bro? 
Mexican restaurant. Well, I don't know. Probably uh, Roy Rogers. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I've got three left. Favorite alcoholic beverage, Sabu? Uh, none of the above. I, I don't have a favorite. They're all bad. You don't drink? I'm, okay. not, a I'm not a drinker. I can drink if I want to, but then I have to choke it down. And uh, I only drink to get drunk, so I'm not a casual drinker. If I, you see me drinking, it's because I want to get smashed. Fair enough. I, I guess you like a bit of the, the weed, and that's totally yeah, cool. Yeah, I, well. I like the weed and a few pills sometimes. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, second last one, Sabu. It's the naughtiest one. It's your favorite female body part. Uh, boobs. Boobs. Very nice. Can't <laughs> complain with that answer. I agree. Uh and the last one, Sabu, is your favorite curse word. My favorite what? Curse word. Favorite swear word. Uh, I guess it'd be fuck, but that's too typical. Uh, uh, maybe son of a bitch, because if you call somebody a son of a bitch, that's insulting their mother. <laughs> Very cool, bro. <laughs> Very cool. We've got, we've had son of a bitch. We've had fuck. We've had a whole heap on the show. But Sabu, I really want to thank you for your time, bro. It, hey, before we go, before we go, could I mention, uh, you know, my Twitter is at the real Sabu. Oh, please ECW. do, please plug everything, bro. Okay, well, my Twitter is at the real Sabu ECW, and my Instagram is the same at the real Sabu ECW, and then the book you, ECW. S-A-B-E-C-W-Sabu.com and uh, or you can get a hold of Super Genie which is uh, R-E at Real Super Genie uh, for Twitter and then uh, I think that's about it oh Rob Van Dam uh, oh GoFundMe we're putting out a GoFundMe so if you could please help us out with that it's, it's a, it'll be for Melissa and uh, Rob Van Dam he, he has RVD CBD and uh, if you use uh code SABU, you get 10% off. And I guess that's about it. Awesome, bro. And and when we have this on YouTube, we're going to have all of that in the description. We're definitely going to have the GoFundMe in the description because it's very Please important. And uh, we want to help you out as much as possible. Honestly, uh, it's, it's a very important cause. So anyone out there watching, please think about it. If you have a spare few dollars, if you don't want to have a coffee every day and be a little bit more tired than usual, spend that money on the coffee and, and throw it into this fund because it really is. And if I ever buy a cup of coffee and a joint. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, bro. Well, uh, Sabu, I really want to thank you for your time on the show. It means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, sometimes wrestlers don't realize how far they reach. And I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. And you have myself and all of my friends. We all fucking love you. We all think you are the fucking man, bro. And I'm sure you've heard that a heap of times from Marks over the years. But I want you to know that you mean a lot to us, my friend. And everything you've done has really touched us. So thank you very much. Thank you. That's always good to hear that. And it, it really touches me. I'm, 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 I'm proud to hear that. So if you want to say that again, I'll listen. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, bro. And thank you everyone out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury with my new friend, Sabu. And we will see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>